Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand a little more about how the other side thinks. We have a couple of speaking engagements coming up soon. We do. And I want to say thanks to the NCMA Huntsville chapter. They're going to be hosting us for their education seminar. So we'll be giving a full day of interactive training at the Jackson Center on March 29th, 2017. We hope to see you there. To register, go to www.ncmahsv.org. We're also headed back to the Government Contract Pricing Summit in San Diego on June 20th and 21st. To register for that one, go to gcpsummit.com. The topic today is past performance. Let's get it started. There's a sales axiom that the best way to get more customers is to be good at what you do. That sounds great. <laughs> and it's, it's really not that simple is the problem. Yeah. Just be good yeah. in a vacuum. So that people have to be able to know what you've done and, and how well you've done it. And, of course, they have to know whether or not what you do is relevant to what they need. In other words, do they care? And, of course, then there's the catch that you have to be able to explain it in a way that they can understand why they care. I think what you're trying to say there is past performance matters. Sometimes it matters a little. Sometimes it matters a lot. But it matters. And it's not just past performance, but it's making sure that your past performance is well understood by your customers. The FAR actually mentions past performance 24 times. And it talks about it. Did you read the whole thing and count? <laughs> actually, there's this, really, there's this really cool tool called the Farsight. <laughs> and you can search and it'll show it's you. It's got a search function. Search. It'll tell you that. I'm, all right. But it, talks, <laughs> but it talks about subcontracting and research and development, quality assurance, which is FAR Part 46, if you're curious. And then, of course, contract by negotiations, FAR Part 15. So it's all over the place. But like a lot of topics that we cover, you know, this is a very large topic that we're trying to kind of just skim across the surface to get a start on many other podcasts we can do on this. So before we start skimming, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks to Heather Delara for liking and sharing our content all over LinkedIn and for being a Skyway community member. We're going to talk about past performance, but we're going to talk about it as a bridge to future performance. Hopping into far time here. In part two, past performance is defined. Past performance means an offerer's or contractor's performance on active and physically completed contracts. So it's not just what you've done in the past. It's, it's what you're still doing right now. So it's, it's past performance and sort of now performance. The book answer for what it is in the FAR, it varies. Past performance, it says, may be used as an evaluation criteria in FAR part eight, which is mostly about GSA schedules. It also says it should be considered in FAR Part 19, 19706, if you want to go look it up. And that's talking about how well you can manage your subcontract plans, et cetera. And then it also says it shall be evaluated under FAR 15304. So you have lots of mays and lots of shoulds and lots of shalls. The shall comes in. If this is a normal FAR Part 15 competition, then past performance shall be evaluated. It's going to be a part of it. How much? It's a different story. That varies, but it, it's going to be in there. Yeah, and, and so that's the book answer. The real answer is your performance always matters. I mean, the CO can and should use past performance on every, basically every reasonable place they could. And for example, a place where it wouldn't make sense might be a micro purchase where they're just using a government credit card as a commercial. Right. Then there's this little gem, FAR 9104-6, which talks about federal awardee performance and integrity information system. Huh, right? 
Yeah, Shelly and I did a whole podcast about CPARs where we talked about this, you know, FAPIS and, and peepers or pippers, uh, you know, wh- where you find the information online. And, and 9104-6A1 actually says that before awarding a contract, and I hate reading the FAR, by the way, before awarding a contract in excess of the simplified acquisition threshold, which is 150K as of this episode, the CO shall review the performance of the contractor. They're going to look at your past performance. So understand that's why it's a bridge. Because if, if your bridge has got holes in it and, and, the, and the pillars are falling down, somebody's going to step on it and find out. Or if you haven't, if you have no past performance or horrible past performance, you actually don't have a bridge. You're yeah, going to have to jump. Just <laughs> jump, jump the river. You're going to leap the gap. That's great. Okay, acquisition time zone, performance time zone. Where does past performance matter? Well, it, it matters pretty much everywhere. Maybe not the very beginning in the requirement zone when the government's collecting their requirements. They haven't yet looked at who could actually perform these requirements, but pretty much everywhere else. It's formally reviewed during the source selection zone when they're making the decision. And during the RFP zone, you're writing, if you're on industry side, you're writing all your past performance up in order to submit a proposal. But if that's the only time you think about it, you are screwed. And during the recompete zone, that's when people start really noticing, hmm, how well do they perform on this? Do we want to keep the same characteristics of this contract because we don't want the same contractor? <laughs> For right, example. right. You got to be thinking about it. The, the entire performance zone, especially when you get to the recompete zone, if the recompete zone is the first time you've thought about it, again, you're, you're probably too late. Past performance is important, and it's important to think about it as a bridge. Brand matters. Even in government contracting, your brand matters. Now, you've heard me say at other times that what's, if it's not in your proposal, it doesn't count. Yeah. It, that may be true. But on top of that, once you're performing, <laughs> all of the pieces of what you are play into this because these are people that are getting or not getting your performance or product. Past performance really is the bridge to new work for contractors. If you're trying to win something where the customer doesn't know you, all they have to go by is the history of other jobs that you've done. It's also the bridge to keeping the work you have, to winning that recompete. When when you get to that point after you perform for five years and the government has to recompete, no matter what, even if they want to keep you, if you don't have a strong history of great performance, you're in danger of losing the work that you have. And it seems that very few companies would build a revenue projection on the idea of losing the contracts they have. That's not how yeah. we plan. You know, like the expectation is once you win this, you should perform well. You should keep this work. So one of the best ways to keep the work is to have documented strong past performance. Yeah, I would say probably every company assumes that they're going to win 100% of their recompetes. They're never going to figure that they're going to lose this one. Now, there are some cases where that's not true. Like if a contract's gone on for a long time, like a decade – and it is matured enough, the government may consider, hey, this would be great for a small business set aside now. There's a lot of reasons that as a government CO, I don't expect the same companies to win this work because things are going to change. Conditions will change. Market changes. My, my acquisition plan changes. All kinds of stuff changing. But to hear the industry say, well, of course I'm going to win this work. Yeah, I think industry assumes they're going to win the recompete. And I think every program manager's job is at stake if they don't win <laughs> the follow-on contract for the work they're performing now. That's an example of something I didn't know that I didn't know. <laughs> As a CEO, I'm not thinking about this guy's job is tied to whether or not they win this recompete. 
Yeah, oh, they'll just move him to some other job. <laughs> Maybe not. The documentation in the CPAR system, that's part of source selections. But another part of the source selection process is past performance questionnaires. For large acquisitions, it's very common for the RFP to say, send these questionnaires to the past performance references that you have cited in your proposal and have them submit directly to the government. So this is real-time feedback from current government people to other government people. And, and yeah, there were times that I would get these out of the blue. So, for example, I'm sitting in Colorado, and here comes a questionnaire on a contract that I worked you know, five years ago. It's, it's still recent and relevant to this RFP. But I didn't know that this source selection was even happening because it was a, an agency I no longer worked for, et cetera. So that's kind of what it feels like. So it could, it could come out of the blue. So understand that, that I'm going to give you real-time feedback based on what I remember from in this case. Right. Don't blow these off, government folks, if you've ever been on a source selection. And depending on these questionnaires, it's really frustrating if you don't get them back or if people don't really fill them out seriously. It, it might be hard to remember, but but help your fellow contracts folks out. And it's not just contracts, folks. They send them usually to the program managers as well. There's a lesson is don't just send them to one part of the contract. Send them to everybody who was touched because everybody cares about the performance of the contract. All right, back to why this is important. There's a few general themes that we should talk about here. The first one is the more complex the item, the more past performance is going to matter. So, for example, a, a complex item is harder to start over with. I mean, if you've got an integrated system like a weapon system. It's like, okay, I can't really just plug and play this out, right? And so a, a commodity is less reliant on past performance because it's easier to replace. It's easier to recompete something that you could just buy commercially. I agree with you that it's easier to replace. But also, don't don't forget, it can, past performance can still bite you if you sell commodities. If the contracting officer gets 20 offers that are essentially the same, but five of those offers have really crappy past performance in the database – they may just disqualify those five and only evaluate the 15 that, that are okay, satisfactory, or above on past performance. And that's a good point. And it may even be that the five aren't crappy. It's that there are five that are great and the other 15 get bounced because they're just good. That, yeah, yeah. It could be a big difference. You're right. Even in the commodity example, it still matters. It always matters. If you're buying commercial items, past performance still matters, but it may not be as documented and it may not matter. Because in the commercial market, you're not going to exist if you're not doing a good job of serving your customers. Yeah, and so in St. Petersburg, we've, we've got this restaurant. It's a brand-new restaurant. They came out to big fanfare, but their service just is notoriously crappy, and their food is really good, but it's gotten to the point where we're like, we don't want to go there. The food's not good enough to offset the fact that you're going to wait, like, seriously, 45 minutes for it to show up. Hmm. So it's just a matter of time before – you know, they go out of business. And so apply that model to you know, whatever is going on in your industry or in your market. But there's a point at which customers vote with their feet and they probably don't tell you. And so because of that, in the commercial market, we don't need to lean as much on past performance. One more farsight to mention. 13106-2B3 says that, I don't know what it says. It says that quotes and offers can be evaluated in efficient and minimally burdensome fashion. In other words, evaluation of factors like past performance, for example, can use one of the following. And one of those is, and I quote, the contracting officer's knowledge of and previous experience with the supplier service being acquired. So we're talking in FAR 13, we're talking simplified acquisition, right? Correct. So what this says is the contracting officer's knowledge of whether or not you can do it 
counts as past performance. Right. So if you piss that CO off in the past, that may be part of the evaluation. It may be all, I would say one or more. That may be all they look at is whether or not this contracting officer was happy with your previous performance. We're talking about the contracting officer's opinion here. We're on the government side. Let's talk about why the government cares. As a CO, you have a variety of options on how important you want to make past performance. You can make it very important. You can make it the most important. You can we just right. You have to evaluate it, but yeah. the amount that it that it matters, that's a that's up to the acquisition team. And when you're deciding how important you want to make past performance for your for your evaluation of your source selection, be reasonable and be obvious. I had a source selection that I managed for because of Brian product and the evaluation criteria said you need to have past performance that shows you can manufacture enough of these. And I think, I think we, we, we had enough to meet the requirement, right? I wasn't as specific as I should have been. You know, you, you learn by doing what I should have said was, can you make 6,000 of these per year? Because somebody came in and said, oh yeah, we can make 50. Well, then I look back at, at the evaluation criteria and I, I wasn't specific enough to say, what's the definition of awesome in their past performance? Now, it, as it turned out, the company that won had much better technical and was a lower price. So it wasn't, it wasn't the decider, but if it had been, I'd have been, I'd have been licking well, shops at the protest. But the company that only made 50 may not have even bid if they knew you were looking for someone that could make them at scale, right? So maybe their time and money was wasted and your time evaluating them was wasted. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> Another piece here is from the government side, document their current performance, good and bad, and tell them that you're doing it. One of the big things that I was not as good at was documenting and telling them what I'm documenting, making sure that the that the, the program manager, the customer, the contract manager say, here's here's what we're putting into, not even CPARs, just our performance records. Just send them an email, Kevin. If you send an email and say, hey, we were really happy with this delivery, or that was the best, that was the best delivery ever. Those kind of things get used in future past performance evaluations. Contractors love those. They love to share them up the chain to show how good they're doing. They don't maybe want to share the bad ones up the chain, but <laughs> it's good to have it documented so that later on, if you want to put it in a CPARS that we were not happy about this, you can say, look, I told you this three months ago. Remember that email? Yeah, poor, uh, poor performance, it creates a black eye. So as a CO don't have happy ears during the performance and then all of a sudden at the end say, oh, yeah, well, this, this part sucked. Don't bash yeah, them. No, no surprises. Yeah. And again, it's, it's e you don't think you're doing that, but if you're not communicating all of the little problems, like they missed this meeting, this, this customer was unhappy, these little things, they don't, unless you tell them, they're not going to know them. They're just not because people avoid conflict for the most part. And they're not going to on their own go tell the customer or go tell the contractor that they're not doing well. And so that crescendo builds and then there's a bomb. Yeah, no, no contractor should be surprised by the government's opinion of their performance when the CPAR comes out. So don't do what I did. I'm, I'm kind of bashing myself on this particular <laughs> one. This I learned by doing is I got one of those questionnaires, and it was a past performance questionnaire. And I was particularly frustrated with the performance under the contract that we had, and I was a contract specialist, and I had not communicated that outside of my CO. And so when it got communicated outside of the CO via this formal document, it was like I farted in church. And everybody mm. was like, well, where'd this come from? And, you know, we worked through it, et cetera. But, I mean, looking back, that's because I wasn't, I wasn't communicating these little frustrations I was having. And it was contract management stuff. It was, it was things that were fixable with some work, but they didn't know to fix them. 
and they thought everything was fine. So yeah, be, be careful that what you think people know, they don't know. Yeah, and then this this review pops up, and they're like, why that little? I, yeah, I, did, I didn't make any friends. But you know what? It worked out in the end. It was fine. It was why a didn't you learning. tell us that it was wrong? We would have fixed it, right? Those kind of surprises can be really frustrating from the industry side. So let's talk from the industry side. Let's talk about what counts as past performance. And this is where industry can really drive an acquisition. Usually we look at three things. How recent is the past performance? How relevant is it to what's being done now? And the overall quality of the work. Recent just means how long since you last did this. And the answer of how recent is good enough depends on the acquisition. In, in the IT world, technology changes very quickly. So if you built the IT infrastructure for someone five years ago but haven't done any infrastructure work since, you may not have any idea where technology is today. That might not count. But if you paved a parking lot five years ago for someone and haven't paved a parking lot in five years since, probably paving parking lot, the, the technology involved, and the steps that you need to go through have not changed that much in the past five years. So five years might be recent for paving a parking lot. And the government may not know what that definition is. I mean, these are obvious examples, but somewhere in between there of what, what would be considered re- recent and relevant, that actually is a good question to ask during the RFI stage. Because there are certain technologies that I, I as a, even the, as a government, we think that two years is enough and it, it might not be or it might be too much. And so those are the kind of things that the communication starts early, that even in past performance, the government should be asking industry, what do you think is a reasonable amount of time? And industry should be telling them what is a reasonable amount of time. If you do it right, the right time frame makes you incredibly qualified for this acquisition and disqualifies all your competitors. So you can actually convince the government what recency is. Yeah, and, and make sure you explain why. Because that, that's the sale point. You got to tell them, oh, yeah, I, I've done this in the last two years. So that's why, no, that's not good enough reason. <laughs> you got to explain why right. your two years make sense. And so that, to be fair, that's some of the things I've seen missing. When I asked that question, I would get like, oh, yeah, well, we've done it in the last five years. Yeah. <laughs> not the answer I'm looking for. Let's move from recent to relevant. Relevant means, is it similar work to what the government is buying now? If they're looking for software to be developed using Java, and you've done a lot of software development, but not in that language, that may not be relevant at all. If the government's looking to build a ship, and you've built fishing boats, but they're looking for someone to build a destroyer, that's probably not relevant. Or the other way around, if you've built destroyers and they're looking for fishing boats, that may not matter. It could also be the size of the contract. If we're talking people, have you managed a contract with five people on it? Or have you managed a contract with 500 people on it? It's a different management task. It requires a different level of experience. And, and then there's the complexity piece, the complexity of the requirement, which you know, going back to your, your uh, destroyer versus fishing boat, or, or the complexity of the contract. In other words, is this going to be 500 admin people who are, have kind of the same skill set? Or is it a broad variety of you got program managers, you got engineers, you have scientists, you have you know, people with different types of PhDs, a bunch of different teams that have to get together and integrate their products. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, it, so that can make it like your ability to manage something that complex as part of your past performance. So again, industry, ask the government to clarify 
what they consider to be relevant so that you don't get burnt. And again, give them the answer. Tell them what you consider to be relevant and why. If it's done correctly, you can disqualify some of your competitors along the way. The last piece is the quality of the work. This, this seems to be the easy one, right? How, how well did you do? It, and it's very subjective. It, it can be. It's much better if it's documented to take the subjectivity out of it. People are much less willing to put really horrible things in writing than they are just to think them in their head. So if you can get it documented that you did well, that will exist forever. If it's just the government's impression that you did well and they get a questionnaire five years later on something they haven't thought about in five years, they may not remember how well you actually did. We're used to instant feedback on past performance now. Yelp gives instant feedback on restaurants, right? Bad reviews stay on Yelp forever, but they show up immediately. The CPARS process, it can take a year to get a final CPARS out there, and the government may have had dozens of acquisitions in the meantime before that feedback even shows up. So documenting the government's current impressions, even informally, can really help you. Yeah, that's an interesting point that the, the CPAR cycle doesn't align very well with the recompete cycle. There's a regular theme we mention all the time that the shadow of the past can haunt you. Poor performance and the government's impressions of your performance, it can be overcome with time. E- even bad reviews, bad CPARs in time become less relevant, especially if they're overtaken by good CPARs later. Bad impressions can also be overcome with turnover. If all the folks in the government office no longer are supporting that government office, maybe poor performance it has, has been largely forgotten. It, it happens. It's all about the people, and that's a good place to wrap this up. For me, the takeaways are the shadow of the past idea, is that people remember things. Even if they don't document them, they still remember things. And so the 80, under the 80-20 rule, 80% process, 20% relationship, or the relationship part matters. And this is an area where it really matters. Both sides need to understand. Don't withhold feedback until the formal, in quotes, process starts. Communicate performance and document it along the way so that both sides understand that this is how well the contract is going. This is how I'm going to use this path performance. And for that matter, as a contracting officer, for the person who's performing the contract for you, for you to understand why they need that, because they want to win this work so they can feed their kids five years from now something I never thought of. (laughs) That's what they're doing, right? Even if it's not formal documentation, like we were talking before, just an email. If there are a lot of reviews along the way before you get to the final delivery, if the government takes the time to write a couple lines about how they're feeling about the, the last review, the goods and the bads, when you get to the end, if you have to write a bad CPAR, you have a whole list of, look, we tried to tell you about this. And on the industry side, if you're not getting that feedback, you can ask for it so that you can do better and ensure that there's no surprises when it comes to the formal review at the end. Because past performance, it's the bridge to the next opportunity. It really is. So for industry, they want to build on that. And the government folks, be aware they're trying to do that. Help them do that. That's why they want so much feedback is that they're using this to to build forward because companies that aren't building are dying. (laughs) If you build the bridge properly with your past performance, it's virtually impossible to unseat you as the incumbent contractor. If you haven't built that bridge well, 
Either it's going to collapse underneath you or it's not going to span the whole gap that you're trying to span it and you're going to lose. And, and we, there's a whole other topic we'll cover a different point around the idea of how past performance is integrated with your targeting plan because you got to be able to target your opportunities and build that bridge in the right direction to reach the next opportunity. Otherwise, you're building a bridge that, you know, goes to another spot in the water. It doesn't help you much. A bridge to nowhere. There it is. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. See you, Paul. That's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. If you want more of the CEO's perspective, if you want on-demand training, if you want access to former contracting officers to solve your unique puzzles, the Skyway community does all three. To see if you're a fit for the Skyway community, schedule a time to talk to Kevin at askskyway.com. Don't forget to send your podcast topic ideas to me at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.